Electricast. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save $1 each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Jonathan Dumas. Jonathan's the founder and co-owner of Common Culture Coaching and Consulting. He brings his creativity and charisma in his coaching, consulting, and facilitation. Jonathan specializes in helping leaders eliminate the line between their work self and their personal self in order for them to fill their full authentic selves in both. He holds a master's of science in organizational psychology with a focus on diversity and leadership and is passionate about empowering leaders to create equitable spaces for those around them. Over the last decade, Jonathan has coached and consulted leaders in higher education, nonprofit organizations, and for-profit organizations on creating sustainable and thriving cultures that encourage diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Jonathan also hosts a podcast called Real Time with Dumas Podcast, where he has meaningful and substantive conversations on society and culture. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Jonathan to the show. Welcome yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for, for agreeing to join us today for our um, our interview. And I, I'll have to say, when I saw your information, I was just really happy about getting you on the show because of your industrial organizational background. I did psych for my um, undergrad. So I, I mm. thought you'd have some amazing insights on on these topics and on equality, diversity and inclusivity in, in the workplace and in other places. So I appreciate you coming on to join us today. Yeah, this is this is going to be a fun time. Yeah, I'm really excited. When I look at our information, what we're doing, I know you're very passionate about social justice. And I wanted to ask you in terms of your own background, what steps can employers take to create an equitable work environment? in these uncertain times? That's a that's a really great question. And, and to be honest, that could be like three or four or five episodes of things that, that employers do. But one of the things that, well, let me just start from the beginning. I think when we think about what happened in 2020, um, we as a society, as a world, you know, are focused on, we were forced to focus on things that we were not um, privy to before. You know, I think uh, persons of color in particular, Black folks have been saying like things like police brutality, you know, uh, 
inequality in healthcare, inequality in education for years. But I think uh, with the pandemic, us all being forced to um, reckon with all that stuff and being confronted with it, you know, with the death and murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, and su- successive like order um, in a very short amount of time, I think we were all confronted with that. So I think a lot of with the outcry from everyday citizens, from everyday people across the world, we, um, yeah, I think that there was a response by organizations to, you know, all right, we got to put a stand. We got to like start doing something and doing the work. I think in my last organization that was a part of, I was a part of some um, diversity, equity and inclusion efforts too, and doing some trainings. And a lot of times it was some of their, some of these folks, and I'll say white people, their first time like reckoning with these things um, because they never just thought about it before. But I'm like, these are things that I experience all of the time. Um, And so, yeah, that was the response. But fast forward a year later, you have organizations that still contributed to, um, in my opinion, a lot of other opinions, you know, a presidency um, with the last president of 45 who continued to instigate and um, talk about like, you know, race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic status, all these different things um, in a uh, horrible manner. Like I honestly, no, Donald Trump is a racist. I'm not going to make words here. Yeah. He's a, he's a racist. Um, And so like, uh, and so, and so you have these same organizations that put a black square out that um, that had these statements out that said we need to do better. And then fast forward a year, they're not doing anything. And so one of the things that I'll say for organizations to to really like put their money where their mouth is, is actually care about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I'll add one more justice work in the workplace is that's it's it's going beyond just having more persons of color in the room, but it's also that deep intentional work in themselves, reading books, podcasts, not just asking their black neighbor or Latinx, you know, um, employees to, to literally do emotional labor and telling, um, and telling them what they are experiencing at work. But like, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of books, there's plenty of things out there that they can do. And so they have to, as leaders of organizations, as organizations in themselves really commit to it. And it, and the commitment piece is where a lot of organizations fall short. It's they they recognize that it's more work than they're able to to um, understand and do. And then, um, and I'll, I'll finish with this because I honestly could talk about this all the time because this is what I do. But I think organizations believe that it's a um, A plus B equals C kind of deal. Like I, if I do this, then I do this, and I do this, and then we're done. And that's not what this work is. Any internal, any people work is a lifetime effort and a continuous repetition um, of like learning and unlearning of all kinds of things, breaking down white supremacy within themselves and around them. How are they doing the work? How are, how is uh, the efforts of the organization either furthering or um, hampering the experiences of, of marginalized groups and all the like? You know, interesting as you say, first initial follow-up question in my head was, how do you deal with the frustrating aspect of when people don't change? But more importantly than that, I wanted to share an anecdote of my own. I grew up in New Jersey and where I grew up, it wasn't such a, it wasn't in front of my face. Like I didn't see the, the oppression, the problems of our society as unless you see it filtered through media or unless you have someone who's close to you who encounters it when you're with them or they tell you about it. And for my, I'm 45, so it tells you my age. I, um, my mom taught in an inner city school in Patterson, New Jersey. So I grew up with perspective, but to see the degree of what we saw and the shock and horror of what George Floyd created in my mind, it gave me the ability to take off the lens I had originally 
in, in etched, etched into my head, you know, and start looking critically at things. How do we get 330 million people to go through their own individual processes based on where they start, mm-hmm. where they've been, and who they've been? You know, that's a complex scenario when you think about it, because someone living in like New York City is going to be a little more of a different viewpoint. And I'm not trying to generalize, but I'm just stating facts for our country, for example. Yeah. When you go to someplace like, I don't mean to pick out a community, so I'll just say a state, uh, where there's a less percentage of African-Americans or people of color or diverse individuals, let's mm-hmm. just call it any place USA where it's a proportionate low percentage, if we'll leave it at that. Yeah. How do you change those people's point of view? Because you know, person over here and person over there, every single person has their own viewpoints. Yeah, no, it is... Honestly, uh, I ask myself this question all of the time, and my undergraduate degree was in history of political science. So I I look at it not only from like an organizational psychologist standpoint, but also from a political science standpoint, like how do we do this? Um, and we are in some of the most divisive times that we ever have been. And we're, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, as I've examined history, as we we look at it, even, you know, we haven't been this divisive since even like the Civil War, realistically. And so what what we have to what we have to do is like change, change like the goal of what uh, of these conversations, right? If the goal is to be like, you know, what I'm going to change every single heart and mind in the United States, in the world, we're going to be disappointed all of the time. And I think that's, I think for me, that was um, when I first started doing this work and really getting heavily involved and invested in it. I think for me, that was my goal all of the time. It's like, I'm going to change every, every person in particular, every white person I come in contact with, I'm going to change their mind. I'm going to win them over. Right. Yeah. And I wish I could not, do that. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not, it's not, it's not um, possible. And that, and you could have the most agreeable, like, like you could have the most like make sense idea. Like it's a win-win doesn't matter. Like it, it, it honestly doesn't matter with any subject. And so I think, I think when we talk about changing hearts and minds, we have to do it and work with where folks are at. For me, I have less pa- I have more patience with somebody who admits and says, I know nothing. I'm going to ask a very ignorant question. I am so sorry. Then somebody who is at a place where they say, you know, like Facebook is so funny. I had a, a convers- I had gotten to a little Facebook scuffle. I'll say that in February on Martin Luther King's birthday with somebody who thought that he was further along just because he had black friends and just like completely like rejected my, my telling him of like, you don't belong. You literally don't belong in this conversation. This conversation about like black folks, you, you white person don't belong here. I have more patience for the person who's completely ignorant and doesn't know anything compared to the person who is a white liberal and thinks that they're further along than the person who sure. doesn't know. The white farmer who lives in Montana or something like that, who's never come in contact or knows very few people of color than the person in like, I'm from like LA. So like that white person who lives in LA who's been surrounded by people of color all their life. I think we have to just curb our expectations of where people are at and understand and kind of get a, a sense of their experiences and just like share stories. Like you could argue facts and statistics all day, but like when you talk about stories and share what, what people are experiencing, that's very different. It could be very, very powerful, but there are some people where you share your stories and they just don't believe you. And, and those are people that I just don't mess with. I don't, I don't give my energy or time or emotional labor to those folks who are w- unwilling and reject consistent stories um, facts, like truths about where people come from, the things that, that exist in our history and that are just like, like irrefutable. Well, but, yeah, like kind of shotgun answer, but hopefully that, that answer. No, you, you know, you raised some valid points. Even with this whole George Floyd, everything that happened last year, I noticed in my own circles of people that I know from my own world, you know, high school, college, whatever, that I noticed I was like, 
why aren't you guys as as alarmed by this as I am? Like I would protest and they'd make comments like, aren't you? Not that they would say, should you be doing something else? But mm -hmm. the reticence when I would talk to someone on the phone, I'm all passionate. I just went to a protest last year or whatever. And they were just, you could just tell they were more yeah. consumed about their lives because it doesn't yeah. affect them directly. It's not one of yeah. their family members. It's not one of their friends. It's not somebody that they're close with. And that created distance between me and, and, and people in my life for a while. Mm. because I couldn't understand how like something like this doesn't raise your blood pressure, doesn't mm -hmm. get you upset, doesn't want you to change things. Like it, it frustrated me. So yeah. I would ask you a question. How do you keep from being frustrated when you're around people that don't even get it on the slowest level, the lowest level, the, the smallest, slightest scale? Because that's something I've had to work through. Yeah. No. And even to go back to your point of like where people are just the, the people that are unaffected or unimpacted or don't show any like signs of like caring or are typically insulated by their own like privilege. And I know um, a lot of people get offended by that word, but like it really is privilege is like this kind of like insulation, you know, you know, it is. it is. And to not think about it is a privilege, right? To not be impacted by it is a privilege. And I recognize that, you know, I'm in an interracial marriage. There are people in my family that I've told stories to, I share stuff, they listen to my podcast, but to be quite honest, they're insulated by other white people. They're insulated by, you know, being in a, the suburbs They're insulated by not having to worry or interact with folks that are like in a lower, so not even just like other white people that are in a lower socioeconomic status, but like there are, um, are a low income bracket or, um, other persons of color. So like, and that has to do with redlining and all that other stuff. I think for what I've, what I've done is I, I have to like compartmentalize the work, honestly, like in order for me not to be angry all of the time, what I have to do is I have to wait a minute. Yeah. If you're angry. Guess what? Then you're an angry black person, right? Exactly. Now yeah. we've got a stereotype they could try to throw. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. so frustrated right now. Well, the, the thing is, is like um, at this point, like I'll be angry, you know, like and can, I don't know if I can cuss on the podcast, but like the yeah. But like, I mean, uh, uh, fu fuck your comfortability. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like I'm a multifaceted human being and like for me to be sad, angry, happy, um, joyful, um, I'm going to express that in, in my full humanity. And, and sometimes that's shouting, sometimes that's crying, so whatever that is and laughing really loudly with my friends and family in public spaces. Like if you are uncomfortable or don't, or feel like, um, feel like I should be acting a different way, like, okay, we're in a public space or somewhere else. Like you can, you can vacate, like, this is fine. So like, for me, um, for me, I have, I'm moved into a, a space, um, emotionally, mentally where I, am okay with being my full self. Um, and I will be very honest about like the boundaries that I set for people that just don't get it. It's like, you know, if I'm around somebody who doesn't understand, who doesn't get it, I'm not going to bring up those conversations because like it is pointless. Like it really is pointless because like what I have to do to get you to understand where I'm coming from is I have to give you a history lesson. I have to unpack my own um my own story because like i am i i am a, a statistical uh statistical person like grew up in poverty homeless um drugs were in my family alcohol abuse in my family all this stuff growing up and so i have to unpack that for you then i have to break down within those stories i have to break down the stats the edit why why this happened why this happened and then after bringing like the governmental like 
lapses here historically why that you see even me explaining it it's, it's exhausting right well <laughs> you know what i, I was just thinking this as yeah. you were just talking about that i'm thinking people are in government people are in organizations people are in institutions mm -hmm. all those things are made up of individuals yeah so like you said earlier for us to try to change minds and and let's use the flowery words change minds and 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 hearts yeah um, it's 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 a, it's a lot more of an undertaking that we're talking about from 500 years of oppression yeah, that's been my lesson in doing interviews with, with people like yourself and others who are on my show is we're, we got to go against 500 years of indoctrinated repression. And yeah. Why, yeah. Whitewash I history, mean, all the stuff. And it's very purposeful. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's reality. Exactly. So it's a bigger challenge. I mean, when you think about the Constitution ingrained in the Constitution, you have the three fifths compromise mm -hmm. yep. ingrained. And in, you know, I did probably say an undergrad, too. Ingrained mm -hmm. in the Constitution is literally our revered document has inequities in it yeah and it's like i mean it, it i get speechless because i get caught up a little i get, I get yeah stuff myself and yeah i'll probably turn red before we're done but my point <laughs> is this. i would love to say you know role models help mm -hmm. i love what athletics are doing right now with their their you know but they're not doing it completely because if you peer below the onion on 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 professional sports, you, you have systems of oppression in there. Yeah. This is oppression in, in medicine. You have it in re real estate. You've got it in financial institutions. It's ingrained on every single aspect of our entire reality. Mm -hmm. And and to really come out of that, it's like taking the right pill and, and coming out of the pod and looking around going, oh my God, what's hooked up to me right now? Because I didn't realize any of this is what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, there was um, a lot of folks that I'll, I like to be very specific because like using coded or shadowed language isn't really helpful. So like a lot of white people that I've like come in contact with recently, um, they'll show some, a lot of those things of like, man, I can't believe this has happened. I'm so pissed off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm mad too. And I, like, <laughs> but also I've been dealing with this for like 30 years, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, like I have learned to, to do that. And so, but, but my, my call to them is like, what are you going to do with that anger? Right. Because like, there's actually only so much I can do as a black person in white spaces, but you in those white spaces, what are you going to do about that with that anger, with that frustration? Um, how are you going to strategically um, align yourself? How are you going to strategically like do the work in your organization, in your life, friends, families? And a lot of times, here's the thing too. A lot of times people think it's like, we need to get this mass movement, like parade the streets, yada, yada, yada. And yes, that's a part of it. But the other part of it is, is actually the day-to-day -day conversations day -day. that happen, the interactions that you have, have every single day. What are the conversations like? How are you navigating those difficult conversations? And, and also the thing that I get to is like, I just don't know how to have them. Well, you have them by having them. Like you, <laughs> you, 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 you learn how to have them by having them and, and, and learn that. And, and I, think, I think I didn't get to this point of where I am, you know, just willy-nilly you know i've obviously i listen to a ton of podcasts um doing my research you know read books from a wide variety of different voices not just like other black folks or latinx folks or asian folks or you know indigenous voices but also of like you know women of like the lgbt uh lgbtq plus community all all of these different voices that uh, that can lend to your your learning and unlearning of things um you have to remain open um but also willing to do and have those conversations right and those are the biggest pieces and it's so hard i'm not i'm it's easier said than done it is so hard especially with friends and family you know before george floyd happened 
I kind of was like, oh, you know, I was raised, don't talk politics, don't talk mm. religion, don't talk this, don't talk that. And I always worked within those parameters. And then after mm-hmm. what happened last year, I'm like, those that's off the that's off the table. Like if someone doesn't like what I have to say because of my podcast or what I say in person, then they can go somewhere else. I don't care. Anyone in my mm-hmm. life, anyone in my life who feels that I'm outspoken and they're not agreeing with my views, okay, go to your go to your other podcasts or you know, I've had I've lost some friends. I'm not yeah. worried about it. I have plenty. I don't I don't worry about the ones that don't want to hear what I have to say. I'd rather mm-hmm. care about the ones who actually take what I have to say and work on moving and changing things. Yeah. That's the action steps we talk about. How can we change things? Like, what do you think of that? Like, if you look at the challenges we're up against and where we are on August of 2021, mm-hmm. what do we need to do to move the mark? How do you, I, I, I know what you'll likely say, but I'd still be curious to hear what you have to, from your experiences. Yeah, that I could say. I think to break it down, like, even from like a, micro standpoint. My, one of the first things I would say, if you're an individual listening to this podcast, you're like, all right, I agree with everything you're saying, but I don't know what to do next. All right. Well, what I would say is like, if you hear an insensitive thing that is happening in your circles, if you hear something like that, address it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's the differences calling in, calling out. Like I would, I would imagine like if it's a very intense thing or somebody says something extremely like homophobic, sexist, racist or whatever, call that thing out in that moment, because that shouldn't be tolerated in your friends groups or whatever. But also like, there's moments where you can be like, yo, can I talk to you about something you just said? Um, You know, like that was actually pretty offensive for this reason, this reason, or this didn't sit well with me. And and your likely response you'll get is like, it's a joke or like, you're not even, you're not gay. Why would that bother you? Or you're not black. Why would that bother you? Blah, blah, blah. But it's like, those are the things you can immediately do. And so like that, that actually build, that's the first step of like building up, like, um, you know, listen to all kinds of voices, take the cue from people <laughs> that like are doing this work. And I would say, I would encourage, um, I would encourage specifically take the cue from, um, persons of color that are willing to do this work. There's plenty of podcasts. I can give you a, a, literally a list of like go-to stuff with me and me and my partner, we do this work together. And so we, um, uh, well, sh- she put together this this long list of like initial steps that you could take of things that you can learn. Yeah, so um, so I can give that to you, and if anybody who wants it um, can reach out reach out to me, and we'll. Uh, I think you said you're going to put my information in the yeah. show notes, but that's initially. I think it's the commitment to the work is what you could do. Is and and the sooner that we can commit to this work, the sooner that we can commit to changing um, the injustices that we see both in like edu- in all of the things is like, that's what, that's like the first step that we can do. There's no simple answer. Like it's a, it's a very simple question, but there's no simple answer. No, you're right. Um, and we have to be committed to doing the work um, from the, from the, you know, micro steps of like engaging in those um, wrong and hurtful and um, bad comments to like on an organizational level. Like I, there was one time I just asked the question um, I used to work in HR and I said, Hey, like, why do we use these, um, these, uh, like classifications for race. Like I don't, these aren't right. And like, literally that started a week and a half long, like thing of like, why we're using these race classifications. Cause all you ask that simple question and oftentimes it will unearth. Why wasn't this thought of before you though? Right? Like exactly complex institutions. Why wasn't this figured out? And the answer is like, it's probably going to be, well, we didn't think of it. No, you didn't really, you really didn't think of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah. It's so those are the things that those are the things you can ask questions, remain curious, um, be committed. That that's what I would say. 
And uh, be courageous is also what I would say. And I'll say this too, because I've also gotten this. For white people who are who are doing this, don't expect a cookie for doing this work. Um, <laughs> there is no like, there is no, there is no, just because you like call out somebody doesn't mean you're going to get an automatic high five from your black friend or your uh, Latinx coworker or your trans friend or anything like that. Like you do this because you care for the dignity and respect of people and you want them to be able to live their lives fully and authentically without any impact or un, unrightful impact from the outside world. You just, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. I, I couldn't have said it better than you. <laughs> I'm being honest. I mean, I'm not trained in what you're training, but hearing what you're saying right now, I couldn't, I couldn't have done that so artfully. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, how about this one? Like, from my involvement doing social justice stuff, just with my show and little things I've done, I noticed a reluctance on the part of some in society to even grasp the issues that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I get frustrated myself, and I'm just going to tell you, I get frustrated when I'm around people who act like there's no social justice problems going on right now. Yeah. For me, I, I, I get, I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. If you can't tell by the way I'm describing it, but I guess going back to your original point, I guess how do you deal with those that are aren't even aware of it. it. Not that they're not wanting to be aware of it, but they're just so, I don't know if it's self-absorbed. I don't know if the privilege, if they're the deep end of the privilege pool and it's over their heads and they can't see out of it to see the air for what reality is, or if it's just that they just don't make it a priority for other reasons in their life. Yeah. It's probably, honestly, Jason, it's probably all of those. Like, honestly, it's probably all of those. Like, I remember I was speaking on this panel one time and we were talking about power. And so we kept using this power and this guy raises this, he's old, he was an older white man. And I'm saying these experiences because like, this has been my experience Understood. within the DEI justice space of like, I've just like the major pushback that I've gotten is predominantly from white people. It's predominantly from older white men. And I don't have anything against white people. Um, it's just like, when I talk about this stuff and I'm honestly speaking honestly and from my perspective and my story, these are the pushback that I get. So I'm not attacking any white people. This is just truth from how I've experienced it. And so as I'm talking about, as we're talking about power, he raises his hand. He's like, I don't understand. He was angry. He was angry. I don't understand why we're talking about power in such a negative sense. And I'm sitting at the table with this gentleman. This is like, yeah, I, I feel like we're just, you know, doing whatever. And like, there's coded language about like the power. Cause we were talking about race and high income to low income, all these different um, things. And so I, I engaged with him at the table because I'm one of the people that's speaking on the panel. And I had just said, you know, power ha- can be used in the right way and the wrong way. And, you know, and it was like a faith institution. And so we're in like their, in their building because I guess he attended this like um, uh, religious institution. And so I was just uh, there and I said, you know, like, like power, you know, power, authority, money, was able to like build this building. And it's like a really nice building, a compound, right? And like, that's the good use of power. But as I even shared earlier, there is a bad use of power. And as we've seen over the course of history, um, even in the stories of, of my own personal story where power is used to just like literally keep my family from not only like getting out of poverty or, or getting out of this cycle of like oppression and suppression, right? And so like, when I told him that, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I didn't think about it that way. Like, I, I, I never really talked to anybody from wow. your perspective. And I'm like, yeah. And like, I totally the light bulb went off in that. Yeah. Like, he or... literally, he like, um, because of my tone and response to him. And this is another segue of like, for me to have that conversation with him as a black person talking to this older white man, <laughs> I had to literally 
um, monitor how I was talking to him in order for him to even receive. I had to be in a posture for him to, uh, the correct posture for him to even receive it, which is a privilege and a whole nother thing. But anyways, like I couldn't have responded at just as angry. He wouldn't have gotten any of that, but that's just psychology, right? That's just, that's not anything. Well, that, you know what? That's, though, just that's, psychology. A point, that's a great point you raised because you're also a human being yeah. in your heart, right? And you're a human being in your experience. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, and I'm going to be blunt about this as a white person walking around the streets of Tampa, for example, or any street, depending on where you're at, there are certain things that I don't have to worry about that you do, that you go through your daily experiences encountering every day that mm-hmm. I have only started looking at and thinking, oh my God, myself. And I'm being honest with yeah. everything between law enforcement and the way that um, you're perceived in a store to mm-hmm. walking down a street at the night at night wearing a hoodie. Uh, I mean, there's just so many things that if you look at it, I could see if you're an African-American parent trying to talk to your kids to stay safe in America, it's going to be a damn big book and a lot of asterisk underlined highlight and you're gonna it's it's a manual like just stay yeah. alive on the streets in america if you have uh a per, if you're a person of color good luck it's yeah it's like no it's a lot i mean and, and i'm saying that because from my vantage point it, it it i always was thinking of myself like i'm living in a free and, and amazing society and this and i do think there are aspects of our country that are free and amazing but it's not for all not mm-hmm. everybody's free right now and you can't you can't say that you know looking at it critically even and, and from a valid point of view everybody's got to look and see that there are systemic issues that we have to cure i mean yeah on the surface the name of a street very important a team very important you got to switch up those jerseys and make sure people understand they're being accurate and how they look at things but more importantly than that under the surface all these reforms that are needed to economically mm-hmm. help people help yeah. health care help people with their housing help them with education these are real yep. These are real challenges that our government should be involved in in some way. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the fox in the hen house. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the thing is, is and, and what's really interesting, and, and I, I say this a lot on my podcast when I talk about these things, it's like white supremacy harms all of us, it, it, white person included, like diversity, equity, inclusion and justice work doesn't just involve persons of color, doesn't just involve minority communities and like whether it's like sex, gender, all those things, like it involves absolutely all of us. And it takes all of us to make changes in our society. And I reference this too, that uh, Martin Luther King was not killed because like he was, he, he was fighting for black rights. Like that's not why Martin Luther King was killed. Martin Luther King was killed because like he started to galvanize a rainbow coalition of people of all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all, all um, cultures in the United States, uh, um, whether they were rich, poor, and all that stuff, and said, we need to uh, change the way that society is functioning for all of us. We need to raise the, um, create a, a living wage for everybody to live. We need to um, get better education, get better healthcare for absolutely all of us. And a lot of these things, a lot of these reforms and laws and legislations that are in there would actually not just help black people with that, but that's what, that's what these like ultra white ring people will, will say. It's like, Oh, black people just want this or Latinx people want this or, or, or the LGBTQ plus community wants this. Like they're just trying to change it. No, we want these things because we know it's going to help absolutely everybody, not just the marginalized community. It actually uplifts everybody in society and, and, and does this. And so, but the thing about white supremacy is it tricks us and pins us up against each other. Like we're fighting all, uh, like we're fighting each other. And my, my, the way I like to approach things when I have these conversations, especially when somebody who's on the other side of it, like if you're willing to have an actual dialogue, if you're willing to actually engage with this and take this seriously, then I will talk to you. 
no matter how frustrating and emotionally exhausting it is, I will talk to you. But we both have to take each other's stories and experiences seriously in order for us to reach a compromise. And I think that is the biggest frustration that we're seeing in in um, government right now is that like people even that have been in government for 30, 40 years, 20 years ago, they would be they would try to actually work with the other side and come to a compromise. We are not seeing that now. Things that make complete and utter sense for for our country um, with these reforms and everything like that, they refuse to do it because they care about their job uh, and keeping a position of power and authority more than they care about caring for the people that they're supposed to be representing. Um, Because the people that they represent believe that this is the right thing to do, which is when they know for a fact that it's it, it would actually work out better for them. Like it literally would work out better for them in the long run. So it's it's incredibly frustrating to see these things now. But um, even to get back to your original question of like, wait, you had you had a question. I, I actually had a point to it. You had your question. Okay, the, the okay. question. I think I was talking about if, if they don't even if they don't even acknowledge it as an issue. It's not even something that they're they're looking at because they're so self absorbed or they're in their yeah. deep pool of privilege or they're just not really registering it right now. For them, you know, they may yeah. say, "Well, I have black friends." Yeah, yeah. I, got, I know people who are black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to watch Cosby in the 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, I'm, I'm glad you did. But guess what? It's 2021. Like, yeah. Come yeah, on. yeah. 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 I, don't, I don't waste. I don't. Well, here's the thing. I don't waste my time and energy because like at that point, it's like, oh, you don't believe that this is real. Like, you don't believe that this exists. Oh, OK. All right. OK. That's fine. You know, yeah. Yeah. Here's the question I want to know is what's the, I, I'm afraid to find this out. I hope we never find this out. Is what's the number of proportions of people that are like that kind of person who's totally tuned out and has zero interest because they're so self-absorbed or they may have their own viewpoints on, on race relations or they may just say that they want to stay in their little their little segment of society. That's it. Like I'm hoping that our democracy itself has more people that can think openly for themselves, not to be contaminated by bigotry and just what I call stupidity, mm-hmm. uh, ignorance. And I hope there's enough in our society that to withstand that kind of thing as a force, because this past election, obviously, regardless of who voted for who, but yeah. you see the kind of outcomes that we could have. Elections have outcomes. And I was happy that one outcome didn't happen, but it doesn't mean that another wave of that can't happen in the future. Yeah. And while you're doing what you're doing every day, it's like larger as a society, we have to come to grips with our past, with our history with the way that we teach others. And I think this is my segue into asking about critical race theory, because mm-hmm. I can't even believe that that's just even a big topic of discussion when we're looking at a society that has multiple strains of, of things that we should look at from different points of view. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you about critical race theory and why do you think it's such a hot button topic for people who don't acknowledge it and, and are, are, are th- I think they're fearful of it? Yeah, well, well, it's it's just a tactic like um, it's a political tactic because nobody was worried. It's been around since the 70s um, it, and, and it's it's been going on. It's not in it, they don't use it in um, education or in elementary schools, high schools, middle schools like that. They don't even teach critical race theory. They don't do it. It's a law theory that examines legislation and sees the impact of race. If like law has an impact on society or this a legislation has its uh, taking in all kinds of like, you know, race, ethnicity, all those things and sees if that law is like, you know, impacting positively, positively or negatively on, on society. Like that's what it is. Um, it's it's used in law school. Yeah. Boogeyman, proverbial boogeyman right now who are trying to go against whatever they're trying to go against right now. I'm like, yeah, 
I scratch my head when I turn on the TV and I don't, I don't flip on Fox news much. I kind of go through it past it or around it. Yeah. Sometimes my remote will get stuck and I, yeah. <laughs> I move on. but yeah. um, it's just something that perplexes me. And, and I just look forward to like the future where these issues aren't so, so divided. Yeah. And that's the, that's the frustrating part, right? It's like, and I'm just going to bash like politicians at this point. It's like politicians will say these hot button tickets and it doesn't matter on what other side, like, Democrat, Republican, ultra right wing, ultra left wing. It doesn't matter. Well, you know um, what? I have to correct you on one thing with that point. The Republicans have not been doing enough for race relations. They have not been doing enough for any of these issues. Oh, no, they don't. They Trump, don't. Right? No, I mean, they I'm don't. I'm just going to say that. I didn't interrupt you. but I, I, No, no, no. Yeah, no, that's very fair. But but without, to, to, to my point, it's like they will use hot button. They will use hot button topics or like extrapolate something that will like galvanize um a large a large amount of folks to get what they want and that that is to stay in power to keep their seats because ultimately and i mean how often have we seen like whether it's a democrat or republican flip on what they said they were going to do or change their mind or like oh i didn't say this i said this or whatever just using wordplay and it's incredibly frustrating that's what's incredibly frustrating about american politics that they care about the they care about their position that they hold more than they care about the people that they represent. And there are, and I will say this, there are uh, a, a few um, Republicans and a few, <laughs> it feels weird to say it, a few Republicans and, a, a, and some Democrats that truly care about their constituents and will do whatever it takes to make sure that they are represented well and that they get what they need for the constituents. Um, but there's, but that's sadly, I would say it's like 1%, less than 1% of the people that we we have representing us in, in, in Congress ultimately. And so, um, and I mean, I feel like I'm, 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 uh, you know, it, it sounds like I'm being like really pessimistic or like not, um, you know, having a positive outlook on this, but like, that's just the reality. Like, honestly, that's just the reality of what we're experiencing right now, especially in the, as, as divisive as our politics are today. And so they use like critical in this example, Republicans are using critical race theory or Fox News or whoever on that side is um, using critical race theory and saying like, oh, they want to teach us this stuff and teach that white people are bad. No. And just because you have white skin doesn't mean you're inherently racist or, you know, um, a bad person. It's like there is a system that's been in place long before you were even alive, a thought or um, like my mom used to say, you are a twinkle in my eye, you know, but long before you were a twinkle in your, your parents' eye that were instituted and you are benefiting from today, but it is all of our responsibility, um, but the burden should lie furthermore on, on white folks to fix these issues. And so, um, how the, the again, the greater question is, how can we recognize and extrapolate what is true, what is not? Um, we are, going back to what I said earlier, being courageous, being curious, uh, being humble, uh, and, 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 constantly, and constantly being willing to do the work um, to make sure that we're not getting fooled by um, what what these people in power and authority want us to do. And that's to stay divided. That's what we have to do is come together. And that's the biggest, I guess, challenge for us. When you are actually looking at the workplace and, and places you've been, how do you see racism's impact, systemic racism's impact play out in the workplace? Oh, that's a hard question to answer. It, it's so systemic, we have to think of systemic racism as water like and, and some some of y'all may have heard this uh this analogy before but like we are fish and we're in water and racism systemic racism is that water and so we are just swimming along we don't recognize it, that it's there and so 
how we see systemic racism play out in um, in organizations, it's it can be anywhere from like having norms of dress and attire and um, how your hair is done. I mean, yeah, it's just all encompassing of those kinds or even like how like somebody acts or behaves like. For example, this is this is something I've seen. Uh, th- I witnessed this when I was in HR. This was the head of HR um, for the company I used to work at said this. She said, you know, if somebody has a name I can't pronounce, I'm not going to interview them. That's what she said. She said that um, the head of HR for this company I worked at said those words. And that was that is the most. Wow. Like, and that's kind of like how like systemic racism will play out. You have people in power that continue to perpetuate. And she wouldn't say that that's racist. She wouldn't say that that's like xenophobic or any of those things. She would just say like, I'm not, if I can't pronounce the name, I'm not going to, I'm not going to interview them, but you are literally like narrowing it down to what is familiar to you. And this was a white woman. So what is familiar to you is names like Steve or, you know, Stan or Timothy or something like that. Um, But even still, it's like these, um, uh, it could not even just be that. It's like, there are other really complicated names. Schwarzenegger is a really complicated name. But yeah. white folks can pronounce that. It, He's it, like a governor. I mean, yes, like people can, people can, um, people can. Um, white white folks will say things like that, but but um, typically the people that are impacted are uh, racial or ethnic marginalized communities. Um, our my, minority communities are typically impacted. So, systemic racism is any uh, is the system that has strategically been play, uh, put into place that indirectly or directly impacts marginalized communities, um, specifically that has to do with race. You know, it's interesting because even as I'm starting in the last year, being more aware of these things and then something called sundown towns. Have you heard of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yes, shocked. Very aware. Yeah. I was shocked that there mm-hmm. were, there still are sundown towns in the country. Yep. Yep. Can you explain it to our audience? Cause I, my understanding of sundown towns, my research of it is that there are certain communities that have these unofficial rules that if you're of a minority or color, a person of color, that you can't go out of your house at certain hours of the day. Like at night, they, they make it so you can't go into certain towns across communities, across the, the country in rural areas, and that you could literally be harassed by law enforcement or owners of shops if you go into these non-desi- you know, these designated areas where you're not allowed. And I was yeah. like, my, my mouth dropped. I couldn't. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have you have the general during my lifetime. The last yeah, yeah, yeah. Years, no, like, it's, it's I mean, they're still very, very prevalent. It's basically, yeah, you you said it's like it, it um unspoken rules of like if you're outside or or um still out and about after a certain amount of, uh, after you know sundown, then like yeah, you do have risk of you know being harassed or or messed with or you know something dangerous, something bad could happen to you if you're not home by by streetlights. And the thing is, like, that was always the rule for me and my and I grew up in San Diego. So it's not like but me and my family, it's like we all um, growing up for uh, the kids in my family. We were had to be home um, before the streetlights came on because like they need to they want to know where we're at. They want my family wanted to know where we're at, if we're going to be safe, all that stuff. And so these are like, again, the things that we experience. And probably there's other people that have the same kind of rule. But like the reasoning behind that rule for, for kids in my family was because like, um, we don't know what's going to happen to us after a certain amount of time. And now I didn't live in a sundown town. Like, I'm not going to say that. Like, that's not where, that's not my mindset of it. The paradigm of a sunset. Yeah. It resides in people's brains. So when they go from a sunset town to one, that's not a sunset town, you could see where people are like, you know, there's issues. And and I can't believe that there's governments that allow it. I mean, it's our, in our democracy. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's again, it's unspoken, it's unspoken rules, right? It's these are these are the norms and cultural norms, or um, I'll use lower lowercase as societal norms, like whether within that town um, that have been established over long periods of time. Um, and again, like those, that's the sundown town mindset. Like that's not my story. That's not my family yeah, no, story. No, I just wanted to, bring yeah. that up we were But about. I absolutely. But I recognize, I recognize, like those things still exist and. Um, remnants of that within society peppered out, doesn't matter where you're at, big city, small city, whatever, still exist. Yeah, to this day. Yeah, that we're still experiencing. I'll ask you this one. Why are difficult conversations necessary? Ooh, yeah. I I I was just telling my partner this the other day is that like difficult conversations are like crucial. Like conflict is is crucial to having a healthy relationship. And people would be like, why is conflict? What is that? But like it, healthy conflict, like conflict that is done well, that like you're putting your point of, point across and like the other person's not really receiving it, but like they're listening, they're they're in the thick of it with you. Um, on the other side of that is like a closer knit, like a, a like that. It just you understand, like you 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 get like where that person is coming from. You you're you're fighting with them, but like you're fighting with them, not like against them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so I think you're not offending somebody by talking to them at a different point of view. Yeah. And like you're just the the thing is, is like I'm not calling you out your name. I'm not like saying you're stupid or dumb or like what you believe is not. I'm honestly treating your treating your perspective, your experience with honesty and truth. And I'm treating it as sacred um, and honoring it. Uh, but also this is where I'm coming from, from that. And like, I, I gotta be honest, the, the most beautiful like disagreements that I've had that have, we didn't necessarily come to a resolution or this person agreed with me at the end of the day, but like, um, but like we were still cool. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 it really is a game changer to um, engage with somebody and have a difficult conversation because it, it truly is important. And to answer, to actually answer your question, I think difficult conversations are important to have because if we don't, if we go around navigating this world and just like being a yes person or like avoiding, like we are um, perpetuating unhealth. We are not really understanding each other. We're not really getting each other. We're not really on each other's side. We're just fake. Uh, it's, it's fake. It's, it's hollow. It's not real. And it's inauthentic to, to think that like, we're not, it's inauthentic to think that we are in a place that we can a hundred percent agree with somebody or where they're coming from. And so even, even like me and my partner disagree, like we do not agree on everything, but like, I think we are intentional about how we have conflict. I'm intentional about how I even have conflict with my, my mom, my mom is <laughs> funny. Cause my mom has said like, she has said, um, sometimes I have put boundaries about like how she talks to me or stuff that she says to me that like, I know that's just not healthy for me anymore, especially being an adult. And so she has said, Jonathan, I don't like hearing what you shared with me, but I appreciate the way that you shared that with me and the fact that you said it and like, and like creating those boundaries and like being uncomfortable in that time has like done wonders for my relationship with my mom, has done wonders with, relationship, uh, with the relationship with my partner, with my friends, um, because they know where I'm coming from and they know that I'm not being mean or, or aggressive or anything like that to them. I want them to know where I'm coming from and I want to know where they're coming from. So again, being curious, being honest, being courageous. Um, and Brene Brown says it's eight seconds of uncomfortable, eight seconds of the uncomfortable. And then after that, 
you're just in the thick of it and, and having those difficult conversations. A real talk. And I think, yes, absolutely. An important part of what you're talking about fits within what I always say all the time is expanding minds and changing viewpoints, right? You're going to yes. change your view by having the conversation because how else are they going to learn if they stay in their respective corner? You'll never have anyone change. Yeah. Segmented society forever. We got to take those lines and blur them and make it everybody has freedom and opportunities and you don't have restrictions and all those kind of things. Absolutely. And that goes back to something that you said earlier. It's like, oh, you were raised not to like talk about difficult things like politics or, you know, race or anything like that. Well, again, like that is a, that is a privilege not to talk about those things because like, for me, we all like always talk about race, always talk about like politics because like, it's so ingrained, like these being black in America is political. I say, um, because it's just like, you can't, you can't avoid it. Um, you can't uh, escape it. It's like, this is something that I constantly live with. And like, whether people believe it or not, like laws and legislation impact us on a daily, on a daily basis. And so like, we're constantly talking about like the things that are happening in society. And, and, um, and so like, for me, I've always wondered like, why not? Like, why not talk about it? You know, like I went to a predominantly white institution and like, they would kind of avoid these difficult, hard conversations. I'd be like, like, it, how, so we're just going to pretend like these things don't exist. Like, we're just going to pretend like, you know, you give a half ass sorry about saying something, you know, mean or hurtful. Um, and we're just not going to like, and then you say that I'm sensitive, but like, actually, like I'm the only black person in this room and y'all just want to, you know, use the N word or say things are ghetto when it's just like, you know, Have you experienced that like, in the workplace. Before? Oh yes. Uh, yeah. I've worked in predominantly white space, not being called the N word at, at yeah. work. No, no, no. <laughs> Hell no. Um, but um, no, but um, no, but I've, I've definitely experienced other things. So it's just like, no, like I want to talk about this. Like we need to talk about this and like I've just gotten good. And that's how my podcast, like, that's why I have my podcast to just like, let's like talk about it. Like, why not? It's you no, know, yeah. I'm going to share this with you. How amazing these conversations go and how fast it goes. We're already running low on time. I want you to share with our audience more about your podcast, share with our audience where they can find you. And also, anything else that you know our audience can know about i'd, I'd love to like have that in the show notes but i want to make sure we're talking because this is a great conversation for me and i learned from having you on and anyone else that's on the show and i just am so grateful that you chose to come to our show today and talk about this stuff because how important it is yeah absolutely thank you again so much for having me on this has been a blast i i mean uh, again i can talk for days about this i told you that but it's interesting uh, that we can have fun talking about these issues <laughs> like yeah 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 you're a great person to have a dialogue with you're teaching me certain things from different points of view and perspectives and i think my audience really you know appreciates the fact that we can have these talks and just be real about it yeah absolutely so um, again, I'm the founder and owner of uh, Common Culture Coaching and Consulting, where I am an organizational psychologist and coach. So I work with uh, companies on these DEI efforts and organize. Well, I do organizational development through a DEI lens, and then I work one-on-one -on -one with coaches on like diversity um, and uh, just empowering them to understand that they can be their full selves in their job, in their work, and in their life. Um, I'm also the host of uh, Real Talk with Duma podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And so I just have conversations with my friends, family, and anybody else that will sit down with me to have real and authentic and substantive conversations about society, politics, pop culture, all those things. Um, and I drop an episode every other week. So you can find me on um, my, you can just email me if you have any questions or want to uh, work with me at Jonathan at commonculturecc.com. Um, you can also uh, check out my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's called Real Talk with Duma. Uh, that is D as in dog, U-M-A-H.
S as in Sam podcast, um, Apple, Spotify, um, all those places. Uh, and then you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Jonathan L. Dumas. Uh, that's another place that I check um, quite frequently. I am working on my, uh, my, my website that's getting updated. So hopefully that'll be ready um, in the next month or so. But yeah, those are all the places I, uh, I, I frequent and, and I'm available. I have to say this. I mean, having our conversation today has been it's been very uh, impactful in a positive way for me. I, I really enjoy the ability of you being able to explain certain, some of these co- concepts. I think other people may not always grasp or comprehend or even try to entertain. And my opinion, if we can get people through this episode to start thinking of these issues, then we're it's a small one for us, but it's a critical step. And so that's how I look at these things: is, is looking at if, if we were in a marathon at, you know, 26.2 miles and each step represents one inch towards our end result, we're probably mm-hmm. at mile five right now since the beginning of time. So we have a lot of steps to take, but as long as we take them together, we can change people, right? And change perspectives. So that's how I'm yeah. looking at this. I yeah, absolutely. Take the, take the time. It's, it's hard work. I know some of the concepts I was sharing might offend some folks, and um, but I would encourage to, well, I say encourage, I, I say encourage, I encourage folks to investigate what, why you're offended what I said was offensive, um, why you feel that like pull in your gut and just like in, interrogate that. What is that thing? What is that feeling? Um, Cause I listen to stuff all the time. I purposely um, listen to things that make me uncomfortable because what is on the other side of that comfortability? Am I uncomfortable because this person is saying wrong things? Am I uncomfortable because like, um, like I'm just not used to it? Like, what is it? And then like trying to figure that out. So it, this was so fun. I really appreciate you for having me on. I really love having conversations like this and getting, having an opportunity to share my story, share, you know, my expertise and uh, teach some folks some new stuff that they haven't heard before. I'm going to share an aside for a minute. About a year ago, after I decided I wanted to expand my podcast, right? So I had a new intro that I did and it sounded really cool at the time trying to find guests to come on and talk about this stuff last year. I don't know what, if it was just me or if I just wasn't connected the right way, I would email people. I'd never get a response. I'm like, Hey, come on this psychic show. And I guess that's what they're thinking. This is a psychic show. Why would I want to talk to this guy about race relations? If he's talking about hocus pocus in the future, you will see. Mm-hmm. So it took a year or so to start getting quality, amazing, incredible guests like you on the show. But I'm so grateful if it's, you know, I would wait as long as I needed to, but I'm so grateful that I could have you on here. And I'd love to have you back. I know there's a lot we could talk about that. We haven't even scratched the surface in terms of, of these issues and the complexity of them and where we can dwell and go with them. You know, we were talking before the show about just looking at simple topics and we could go 15 hours on one area. Like yeah. If we were to say, how can we change racism in America? I could start talking right now and you could live your entire lifetime and come back and we'd still be talking. Yeah. It, yep. it takes a lot to change things. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll say this. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? Mm, and if you want, I can go first. Let's see. You go first. Let me, I'm, I'm going to. You have a prop. I always say every episode I'd be an owl. Okay. I can't even do it. I'd be, I, I would last a minute on HSN. Um, so mine's just, my spirit animal is an owl. I have two parrots. I'm all about birds. I grew up with a parrot okay. as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al's about wisdom and knowledge and looking above the fray. And I feel like my intuitive abilities give me that. So that's why I say that. Yeah. Well, I love cheetahs. Cheetahs are my favorite animal. So I usually, um, yeah, the, the way that they, yeah, the, the, the fact that they can run 70 miles, 70, 75 miles per hour, um, on land is incredible to me, but their bodies like overheat. So the importance of rest is so necessary. And I feel like it's reflective of like even my own life where I can go, really, really fast for, um, short bursts of time, but, I, um, my rest and my, um, my 
mental health and emotional health are incredibly important to me. And I, I need to, I, I hold that space sacred in order for me to survive. Right. Um, but they also like have, they're really like, um, uh, I just found this out, but they, they, they um, zoos will have started or nature preserves have started to like partner them up with like support dogs. Um, because like, they are so like anxious because like, there's so many things like actually out in the wild that like impact their normal day to day. So they're like this gene of like anxiety and stress is on them. So to like calm them, yeah, it's wild. So like they'll pair a a puppy up with a cheetah and they'll grow up together. And so like, they'll be like friends. And then that kind of like helps calm them and soothe them because they learn like the behavior and connection points with, from the dog. And then they'll, they'll mate to have like other cheetahs. Cause it's just like, they're so anxious. So, um, I have my partner, she's my support system and, and really is, is a, an incredible, um, person to lean on when I'm like super stressed and anxious and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of my, my, um, uh, my community is incredibly, um, important to me to keep me healthy. <laughs> a couple of parts from that answer that are pretty amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Super Thank fun. You so much. I just want to thank Jonathan for coming on the show today and sharing his insight. His uh, company's called Common Culture Coaching and Consulting. It's difficult when we as a society have to have some complex conversations, but like we showed today, you can have an amazing conversation. You can have a great time doing it and you could do it in a way that hopefully can elevate each and one, each and every one of us. And when you're talking about someone who has a master's of science in organizational psychology with a focus on diversity and leadership, that's like, for me, a dream list of a guest to come on the show, because I wanted to have somebody who could come in and talk about these topics. And I've been blessed recently to get a couple of different people sharing their viewpoints on diversity, inclusivity. And it's something that I think is so important for us. We need more people like Jonathan out there. I think we need an army of them, because you're not going to change society without doing it in an indivi- on an individual basis. And in order to do that and live your own authentic self year-round, It's going to take some work and effort on all our parts. And I challenge every member of the audience listening to this episode today, just like any other episode that deals with social justice issues. Keep an open mind. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up because this is a long haul. This isn't something we're going to do in one day or one minute or one year. It's going to take a while. But the good news is there's enough people who share the passion for change, who share the ideals of helping society overall overcome these barriers that have been in place for 500 plus years that we can truly make a difference. So keep that in mind. Listen to this episode. If you have any questions, reach out to Jonathan. His information will be in the show notes. And if you have any questions about my show or my program, you can reach out to me at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. And I appreciate each of my guests presenting their viewpoints on this show because that's in the, one of the most critical parts of running a podcast is being able to share points of view that might not always be comfortable to everyone in the audience, but at least it's going to be something, in my opinion, cause you to think about things from a different point of view. If, if we can do that with these episodes, then I, you're going to see me with a smile on my face for years to come. So thank you so much for tuning in. Stay positive because if you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. 
at Baker's. No matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum, restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the shit? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.